Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to Royals Review Radio. I'm Max Reaper, the editor of Royals Review, and joining me as usual is Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, how are you doing tonight? I, you know, uh, as I was telling you just a couple seconds ago, I didn't watch the game today, so I'm doing fine. <laughs> yeah, you, you uh, missed out on the Chris Bubich experience and the uh, uh, the 10-0 thrashing at the hands of the St. Louis Cardinals, so you are the better off for it. Also joining us is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, did you enjoy your day with the Royals baseball today, or did you uh, avoid the game as well? Uh, I, I also avoided the game. It was a busy day at work, but I was sitting next to a Cardinals fan, and he pulled up the game and was like, oh, 5-0. Oh. This is a great game, and she was hey. kind of like needling me. And then I said, hey, look, at least we have barbecue, and you have whatever the heck is on the <laughs> pizza. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's bad enough to lose ten to nothing. It's it's worse to have to lose to a Cardinals fan, and and especially when some of them have infiltrated Kansas City. I I was actually texting with my college roommate last night. Um, he's a, he's a Cardinals fan from St. Louis, and he was actually being pretty. You know, I, I there, there's an understanding there that we're not going to be too uh, too harsh on each other. But uh, you know, it's what I mean. What can you say at this point when you're a Royals fan? Like. 1985, <laughs> it's like that's pretty much all we got. Or, hey, we've won a World Series more recently than them. I guess we've got that. So, uh, well, the Royals, if, you, if you've if you been living under a rock for the last couple of days, the offense, it is not good. Uh, it stinks. For for a night, at least, it looked like a, they might break out after they got seven runs on Tuesday against the Cardinals, including Bobby Wood Jr.'s first Major League home run. But on Wednesday, they were, again, shut out, uh, managed just a couple of hits against 40-year-old Adam Wainwright. They're now tied with the Cincinnati Reds for the fewest runs per game in all of baseball. Matthew, what is wrong with his offense? Well, there's, there's a lot. Oh, you only got an hour, okay? So. Um so there are two things, two simultaneous things that are going on with the offense. Number one is they're performing worse than expected with um, batters and uh, runners in scoring position. Um, we know from statistics that this is not like uh, how you perform with runners on with uh, in scoring position. Runners not in scoring position is not a, a big like you know there's there's not really a predictive power to it. So that's just sort of you know bad luck on on the Royals' part there. That it that is true. Um, what's not bad luck is just that the Royals, if you really just take a step back, like, why aren't they hitting? And this is just something, a point that I keep harping on is they don't really have anybody that they can rely on offensively besides Salvador Perez. And if Salvador Perez is in a slump, which he is currently the entire office kinds of grinds to a halt, 
Um, you know, just just going through basically, you know, the list the list of guys that they've got going on. Um, Whit Merrifield hasn't been an above average hitter um, for a couple of years. The last season that he, the last full season that he was above average was 2019. He was about slightly above average in the shortened 2020 season. But so it's it's been like three years since Whit Merrifield was like a consistently good hitter. And Whit Merrifield is 33. Uh, also joining him in the over 30 club, Michael A. Taylor is a defense first guy who has never been a big bat. You know, that's okay. That That's productive, but it's not going to really help your team score runs. Um, and Taylor's over 30. You'd expect him to plateau and slightly decline. Um, similarly, you know, Carlos Santana is, is well-documented. He's uh, 36. He's on the decline. He hasn't been a good hitter in, you know, about three years also. Um, you know, so you, you have that. So that that's, that's a lot of players um, who you can't really rely on. Also that you can't rely on Nicky Lopez. I know he had a breakout season last year, but Nicky just has so little power that he basically has to be great at hitting, at walking, and at not striking out. And if one of those three is off, all of a sudden he's just not valuable offensively anymore. He still is valuable defensively. Um, then you got guys like Cam Gallagher, you know, backup catcher. You don't expect him to be good. Obviously, he's going to be he's he's injured right now. Um, and then Ryan O'Hearn, who's just like a big question mark. I'm not even going to talk more about Ryan O'Hearn. I don't I don't get it. Um, so that's just a lot of guys that you can't rely on, or that alternatively, conversely, you can rely on to be a below average producers. They the Royals just don't have don't have a lot of guys that they can rely on. Could Bobby Witt be that guy? Yeah, I think he could, um, and he has been recently. Um, could, um, you know, MJ Melendez be that guy? Maybe. Um, could um, Edward Olivares be, you know, an above-average hitter for a longer stretch of time? You know, maybe. But the Royals have a lot of – have multiple maybes. They have one or two, like, yeah, this this guy, you can rely on this guy. And then they have a bunch of guys who just – they just – not very good hitters. And I don't know how many times that we could sort of say this, you know, the Royals, everybody seems to be like shocked that the Royals aren't scoring any runs. Well, like they don't have a bunch of hitters and they keep play- like Ryan O'Hearn's hitting cleanup. I mean, <laughs> how, how do you expect to score runs when Ryan O'Hearn is hitting cleanup? That, that should just, you know, speak, speak, you know, volumes to the personnel situation that the Royals are in right now. Yeah. Here, here are the batting averages of the nine regulars uh, that have started most of the season. So you have, Andrew Benintendi, 354, great start, professional hitter, good job. Hunter Dozier, 243, that's actually like above average right now, you know, in baseball. I, I think he's hitting pretty well, off to a pretty decent start. We'll see if that lasts. Then you go to Bobby Witt Jr., 229. Like you said, maybe he'll be something, but that's a lot to put on a, a 23-year-old rookie. Uh, Nicky Lopez, 225, yeah, that's not, you know, what he's capable of doing. Michael A. Taylor, 226. If you're talking about him being an offensive force, you're probably looking in the wrong direction. Salvador Perez, 167. Uh, Whit Merrifield, 151. Carlos Santana, 159. Adalberto Montesi, 140. I mean, it's that's that's dreadful. And and it does seem like, you know, this does happen every year. Like, these guys, the Royals hitters just always seem to start out uh, ice cold to start the year. I mean, even when we had kind of Hosmer and Moose and Kane, it seems like they would just go into funks early in the year and we would struggle to score runs. Uh, you know, Jeremy, Matthew did say, you know, the, the, the Royals have been unusually bad with runners in scoring position. Um, that That's kind of a, a fluky thing sometimes. 
Uh, I did know that their, their, their batting average on balls of play right now is 265. So perhaps they've been a little unlucky with, um, you know, the balls they are putting into play. What's interesting is their, their, their strikeout rate third lowest in baseball right now, which is kind of suggests they're, they're putting the ball in play, just not very well. Uh, do you see any kind of silver linings to this lineup? I mean, I don't, I don't think they will be this bad all season, but could they? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so actually the entire time I've been sitting here thinking, maybe it isn't that bad. Uh, so off the top of my head, Adalberto Mondesi, Carlos Santana, not in the lineup anymore. Now, they didn't get removed from the lineup for bad play. They got removed from the lineup for injuries. But Adalberto Mondesi, probably not coming back this year, which is actually unfortunate because it seems likely he would have gone on the hot streak at some point. But... It is what it is. He wasn't hitting. He wasn't producing. He's not in the lineup anymore. Carlos Santana wasn't hitting, wasn't producing, not in the lineup anymore. He's age 36. Um, the Royals were already kind of moving to give him some days off, even before he got injured. He had a couple days off. Uh, you'll recall when Salvador Perez had the blurred vision issue. Um, so I'm starting to think that, you know, if anybody finds a way to hit and kind of take over first base, whether that's Ryan O'Hearn, whether that's MJ Melendez, who plays DH and forces Dozier to first, or if Dozier uh, hits a little bit better than he's been hitting now, because he's been hitting okay, but if he really wants to force Santana out, he's going to have to be more like uh, a couple of years ago Dozier. Uh, but then if those things, if any of that happens, maybe Carlos Santana doesn't come back in the lineup. And MJ Melendez already has two hits in his first two major league games, uh, Bobby Witt Jr. just did end his 10-game hitting streak. Uh, Andrew Benintendi, as you noted, is hitting over 350. He was leading the league in batting average at one point. Um, he's still pretty high up there. Uh, Whit Merrifield was leading off. He's been demoted to fifth. Uh, I don't. He, I can't believe he's going to be this bad all year. Uh but at the same time, it does look like the Royals are looking at him and going, you know what, if you're not going to hit, then we maybe need to make a move here. So they've moved him out of the leadoff spot, but a day off be coming for him, possibly. I don't know, that's hard to sell. But if they do it, once they give him one day off, it's easier to give him more days off. Uh, so there's that to look forward to. Uh, Nick Prado, Vinny Pascantino are still... Uh, in the minor leagues, doing their thing, making progress. I, I, Nicky Lopez, as noted, um, he actually started off the year pretty well. He's been in kind of a funk, but he could come out of it at any time. I think that this lineup can improve, especially with the subtractions of Mondesi and Santana. It's not going to happen overnight. Nothing in baseball happens overnight. And so we're going to have to be a little bit patient. Bobby Bobby Wood Jr. has been coming out of the slump. He had that 10-game hitting streak. You know, his, his OPS is still kind of low down there in the 600 range, but it's a lot higher than it was. And uh, if he continues, he, he's been looking more and more comfortable at the plate. He's been hitting the ball hard. Edward, Edward Olivares is hitting the ball hard. Uh, MJ Melendez is hitting the ball hard. Uh, and that's what you want. You want guys to hit the ball hard. You, uh, Max, pointed out that they're striking out at the third lowest rate in baseball. If you're striking out at the third lowest rate and you're hitting the ball hard, that is supposed to be a recipe for success. If they're not having it now, then that suggests that it will come. Uh, we just have to potentially be a little bit patient. Yeah, and I feel like the run scoring will pick up, especially when the war weather gets warmer. 
But I just wonder if it'll pick up relative to the league. You know, and I also feel like, oh, yeah, they'll have like some great stretch in September when you know, they're way out of it, where they, you know, finish the season like 14 and 7, and they, they end up putting some, some crooked numbers on the board, and they're like, oh, this will carry over next year. And of course it doesn't. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think you're right. I think there could be some addition by subtraction. And how exciting was it to see MJ Melendez come up? You know, I don't know if he's going to be great early on. You know, Bobby Wood Jr. has had his struggles, but it's at least exciting to see a young rookie come up. I think he has a really good approach to the plate. He had a couple you know, nice hits the other way. A, a, a deep opposite fly, uh, opposite field fly ball that, you know, looked like it was going to be a home run, but uh, ended up falling just short. I mean, I, you know, I like that approach where he kind of uses all fields. Uh, Matthew, what, I guess a big question with Melendez is like, how are they going to handle him? Like, Salvador Perez and him can split time behind the plate a little bit. Some of They'll get some time at DH. But, you know, Cam Gallagher is going to come back eventually. How do you handle that situation uh, once he gets – once he comes back? And what do they do with Melendez in the interim? Like, how are they going to get him enough playing time? Um, I don't think that it's going to be that hard to uh, get Melendez at bats. I think Perez, at some point, they're going to give him a day off, especially if, especially if he keeps slumping. Um, the other thing is that Melendez is definitely a candidate to, you know, platoon with a guy like Edward Olivares. So you can see, you know, if there's a lefty on the mound, you know, maybe not play Melendez. Um, but I think, you know, it's it's an easy situation with Cam Gallagher out. As you say, it's much more interesting when Cam Gallagher comes back. I get the feeling from Matheny that he does not like that both of his catchers are like – he, that he does not like just having two catchers like Perez and Melendez on the roster in that they're playing all the time, basically at DH and, and catcher. And that if, you know, as we saw um, in the game, um, you know, when Gall- Gallagher went out, you know, and if one of them's DH and has to switch to the catcher, well, that throws everything into sort of disarray. So I, maybe I'm reading between the lines here a little bit, but I think it may I think that Gallagher may have a place on this team when he comes back. I think that probably means just less playing time at catcher for Perez, who then plays DH more. And then that means that Melendez gets to play either third base or outfield. Um, probably third base. He's played more at third base um, than, than the outfield. Um, I I think that is going to be interesting to keep an eye on, but there's, there's definitely at bats you know, for him. It's not like the Royals have a bunch of players who are hitting well. The DH spot is going to be open to whoever's hitting. You know what I mean? So, and if the Royals are in a position in which the DH spot is needed every day, you know, that's a different, better problem to have, and I'm not super worried about that if that happens. Yeah, I kind of think, like, when Cam gets back, they'll go with three catchers on the roster because they've already had a couple situations this year where um, Salvi started at DH but then had to enter the game at catcher and they lost the, the designated hitter, which, you know, is a little harder to navigate. And of course leaves you exposed if, if something happens to Salvi. So having that third catcher would give them a little more, I think comfort or flexibility. Um, and, and you'd still have that option to, to DH Salvi, but uh, you know, Jeremy, I don't know. What do you think if, does that, if, if cam comes back, uh, when he comes back, I guess, uh, does that, do you think we should start see, expecting to see Salvi DH more? Would that be, I mean, obviously, that'd be probably a little bit better on him. Um, is this maybe the beginning of the end of seeing Salvi behind the plate on a regular basis? Um, I mean, if I had my way, 
yeah, I, I would DH Salvi more. He wants to be in the lineup every day. I get it. He's been that way his entire career. He wants to be in the lineup every day. He's a catcher. It's hard to be in the lineup every day as a catcher. If he starts catching one day and DHing two days, as opposed to what he's been doing, where he catches two days and DHs one day and doesn't take any days off, uh, maybe that helps lengthen his career. Maybe that helps get his back going. Uh, the 26-man roster uh, also, I think, really gives you an opportunity where everyone's been kind of used to this 25-man roster for a long time. So, well, now you've got an extra spot. That's a great place to put your third catcher. Uh, right now, they've got Emmanuel Rivera is probably the 26th man on this roster. Do you need Emmanuel Rivera on this roster? Not really, especially because he primarily plays third base, and MJ Melendez's second best position is third base so I, I think that there's there's plenty of room for Gallagher and and I think it makes a lot of sense to 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 kind of let the young guy catch and to to let Salvi kind of designated it be the designated hitter be the leader uh in the dugout uh you know uh, I think that he could he could have some some influence there even, you know, I'm sure he's already kind of the quarterback on the field. They'll, they'll tell us, you know, where he, he's calling out everything and making sure everybody's where they're supposed to be and kind of leading with his attitude. But I think he could do that uh, almost as well uh, from the dugout. It would just be different. And and if anything, I think if anybody can adapt to that difference, I think it would be Salvador Perez. Yeah, I think with the positional versatility they have, I mean, you mentioned Melendez playing third, but, you know, Hunter Dozier can play third, mm-hmm. although not very well. You know, Nicky Lopez can play up the middle. Whit Merrifield's pretty flexible. Uh, so they've, they've got a lot of options there. So I think you're right. I think, you know, that allows them to carry that third catcher. And I think you're right. Salvador can still have a good influence on his teammates. I mean, he's the veteran. He's obviously going to bring a lot of gravitas to that clubhouse. And uh, guys are going to listen to him. Uh, you, you mentioned the Carlos Santana injury a little earlier. Uh, were you guys surprised we didn't see... Vinny Pasquantino or Nick Prado get called up and, and 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 maybe that'll happen. You know, I think they they brought up Emmanuel Rivera because he was still in town. I mean, that was part of it. They wanted that you know an extra bat, but um, you know if he's out for an extended period of time, which it was a bursitis uh, injury uh, with in the was ankle or knee, I can't remember. the knee, I believe. Um, I don't know how how long that will keep him out of action, but Matthew. Do you expect us? Do you expect expect the Royals to call up one of their young prospects to fill in at first base, or, or is it a matter of them not being quite ready yet? I, 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 there are arguments that the Royals' young prospects are are not ready, or that Prado might not be ready for prime time. That's that's definitely a perfectly acceptable position to have. Prado has had success. In AAA, um, last year he hit 56% above league average, which was really great. But he struck out 28.5% um, of the time, and the, even in AA he struck out 29.1% of the time. That's that's a lot. Um, and then this year he's striking out 34% of the time, which with also less walks. Um, you know, so the, you have maybe a bit of an argument that you know hey he needs to get the strikeouts under control but the thing is uh, to me at least some guys are just going to be high strikeout guys um and prado has legit power and he walks pretty well um you know so maybe he's because of his strikeouts he's not going to be an elite hitter but you know 
chances are decent that he's going to be a good hitter. Um, you know, steamer, the steamer projections, for instance, they predict that he is going to be a 4% above league average uh, hitter in the big leagues. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's going to be, and then, then zips also predicts him to have a seven, nine, three OPS. Um, so, you know, it, he's probably likely to be a decent hitter. Um, now he could struggle like Hosmer. That's certainly true. I just wish that the Royals would just recognize, um, you know, the, they would just recognize a, a sunk cost when they, they have one, right? Like Carlos Santana might turn out to be okay, but Carlos Santana is not going to get you anything uh, on the trade, on the trade market. He's just, he's just not, um, and he's been not very good for a long time. Something like eight or 900 plate appearances has been like in the 83, 84, something like that, uh, WRC plus. So 16% below league average. And for a guy who runs slowly and can only play one position, that's, that's not very good. The Royals just need to cut him and move on. Um, uh, Dan Zimborski had a really good piece about uh, what the angels were doing. And um, we're seeing a couple of teams just move on from, you know, these types of hitters that are getting paid lots of money, but just aren't helping their clubs like Robinson Cano, like the Mets just released Robinson Cano and he wasn't, he wasn't helping them, but they just, they cut him. Go ahead. When you're in the position that you're looking at the Mets and saying (laughs) the Mets are acting smarter than you are. That's, that's not good. Yeah, it's, it's not good. So I just wish that the Royals would, um, you know, cut bait on Santana. He's he's just it, it's not going to happen. Like it's not going to happen. You tried. I was it was a fine contract to offer him at the beginning, but he's injured now. I don't think he's he was injured apparently last year. You know those. He's 36. You get injured a lot more when you're 36. Um, and yeah, I I just wish they would move on. And the other thing about the Royals too is maybe the Royals are I want to be protective of Nick Prado, right? But the other thing is they have two options. Uh, they have Vinny Pasquantino, who, while he's not on the 40-man roster, that could easily be solved by shifting Mondesi over to the 60-day injured list and opening a spot for Vinny. Um, Vinny Pasquantino, his uh, batting average is 303. He's walked out. He's walked 16.7% of the time. He's struck out 11.5% of the time. Uh, his isolated power is 289 he his WRC plus, uh, which again is is um, one point or above or below, is better or worse than league average by one percent. Is that one sixty seven? Okay, this year is in Triple A. He's just he's just hitting the crap out of the ball. And last year his WRC plus was one fifty three in Double A, and in High A it was one fifty four. And then we played in rookie in twenty nineteen. It was one fifty two. Like he's just gonna he's just hit all the time. And if you're if you're thinking to yourself, hey, we still believe in Prado. There's, you know, you try Vinny out. I mean, the, the minor leagues bear it out. And if he struggles, then you can send him back and you have your quote unquote, you know, better prospects still there that you haven't messed up his, um, you know, his, his development for. So I, I really do think that I do, I do wish that the Royals would bring one of them up. Now I say this with the caveat, we're recording this on Wednesday evening, as we usually do. Nick Prado was taken out of the game on Omaha tonight. Uh, I haven't seen that he was injured, so that might... Oh, okay, so Minda said he was hit by pitch in the head in the first. Okay, so... Uh, 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> false, false alarm. But props to uh, Minda, who's a contributor, and uh, Omaha Storm Chaser's uh, photographer. So she's really good. Um, so, yeah, false alarm. But um, I did see that, and I was like, oh, this is happening as I'm speaking. So, um, but, yeah, I, I wish they would bring one of them up. Um, yeah, I, I, I just – they need – it goes back to the beginning. They need better hitters. Santana's not it. Pasquantino might be it. Why not try him out? You're clearly not going to win a bunch of games here. Yeah, Mendez good for for hug watch. Whenever uh, someone's about to be promoted, usually there's some some indication in the Omaha dugout. She's usually been good about giving us a heads up on that. Uh, Jeremy, is it time to see Vinny or Nikki uh, at the big league level? Uh, and is there one that you prefer to see up uh, before the other? So. The first thing I want to notice or note is that uh, Carlos Santana, the way they were talking about his injury was that they they don't seem to think he's going to be out for very long. They just didn't want to be lacking that roster spot for however long that was going to be. It was going to be more than a couple of days, but it didn't sound like they expected it to be like a long-term thing. So I feel like maybe they don't bring up Prado or, or Pascantino in that case because they're like, well, they'd only be up here for a week. And then we'd have to demote them again, regardless of how they played. And we don't want to get into this whole, like, Rich Gannon, Elvis Gerbach thing. That's old football reference for anybody who's old like me. Uh, you know, where the, the 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 guy who was there comes back and, and you say, well, the substitute was better. And then they don't want to swap them out. Uh, so I think that's probably why they haven't brought him up yet. But at the same time, the Mets situation, I look at that again. They cut Robinson Cano. They owe him $40 million this year and next year. That's how much money they owe him. And they cut him. They said, no, it's it's not working. You're not hitting. We've paid you the money regardless. You're not hitting. We're not not a better team with you. The money's gone, so goodbye. Um, And I wish the Royals would look at Santana and say, thank you that deal you know it seemed like a good idea at the time i i was for it at the time i know i wasn't the only one who thought you know maybe he still had some life in his bat wanted to see a professional hitter who knew how to take a walk in the lineup um but you know it seemed like a good idea at the time it's not working the money is spent are they a better team with or without santana the answer seems obvious and so i i I don't think that Santana is long for this roster. Like I said, they would already work towards giving him a couple days off even before the injury. I think that's a kind of a sign of where they're thinking of going with him. I think it's just a matter of time uh, before we see Prado and Pascantino. And as to which one I'd rather see, probably Pascantino, because as Matthew uh, notes, he all he does is hit. All he's ever done is hit. Uh, Prado absolutely had that awful, I think it was 2018, uh, minor league season where um, you know he was just bad and everybody was like well he's a bust and they stopped paying attention to him until he came back last year and looked good again so or maybe it was 2019 but the the point remains that that to my mind Prado is you know he had a good year last year he's shown some good stuff this year he projects well but all Pascantino does is hit and I want the guy, when, when all is said and done, is all he does is hit. That, that's what I want to see at first base and designated hitter. Yeah, what's really weird is that, you know, they have a lot of options at first base. Like, okay, so you don't feel like Vinny Pascantino or Nick Prado is ready? Well, then fine. Play 
Hunter Dozier, who's actually hitting well, and first base is probably the safest place to put him on the field. Or, or let's see Ryan O'Hearn. I mean, I don't think he's going to turn it around at this point, but he's on the roster. You paid him a million four. Um, put him out there. Give him one last chance to, to keep his job. Uh, you know, it, at this point, there is not really any upside to keeping Carlos Santana on the roster. Uh, and I suspect you're right. I think it's an injury that's not going to keep him out very long. I, I did laugh at the tweet from David Lesky, who said something like, well, at least they didn't, you know, try to see if he could stick it out for a couple of days, not not put him on your list, then pinch him, you know, pinch him, pinch hit, hit uh, him on Thursday to reset his injured list clock and screw around and not have a, a, an open, a spot on the roster for a couple of days. They went ahead and put him on the injured list right away. Um, but, you know, even if he starts, if he hits when he comes back, Who's going to trade anything of value for a 36-year-old who's been bad for almost a full year now uh, and doesn't really give you anything on defense and is making $10.5 million, which you know, the Royals would certainly have to eat that all that anyway. So you're going to have to pay that money anyway. You're probably not getting anything back. I mean, they got back a pretty marginal prospect for Jorge Soler, and that's when and he had a better track record, and he is a much younger player than Carlos Santana. I just don't see what you get get for Santana. It's it's probably time to cut bait and move on and you know, like I said, go with one of those other options or, or call up Vinny Pascantino and, and, and see what he can do at first base, which by the way, he made a really nice defensive play for Omaha tonight. Uh check out Royals Farm Reports uh, Twitter feed for that. But uh yeah, I think it seems like it's time to move on. You know, Matthew, the Royals have been kind of baffling in the roster construction all year. You wrote about that this week. What was kind of your take on how they've constructed this roster? Well, it's a date more special, uh, which is to say that um, um, they're in like no man's land. Uh, they didn't go out and try to improve the roster, right? They didn't go out and do that. Um, they didn't go out and sign a big free agent. They didn't like actually try to compete. At the same time, they did not and have not clearly made an attempt to um, go young, right? So. If they were, you know, it makes sense to, like, start the season off with Santana, see if he has a hot start, you know, see what you can do. Maybe, you know, use a hot start to, you know, pawn him off on someone. Maybe, you know, nothing. But, uh, you know, they got an opportunity. He started slow. Santana's hurt. And they're still sticking with him, apparently. And they're still not calling out their young players. Um, you know, they haven't started until Mondesi got hurt. Um, they weren't playing Isbell or Olivares in the outfield. Like these guys with actual major league experience, you know, Isabel and Olivares, uh, anyway, at least, you know, they haven't been, been even playing them until Mondesi got hurt and basically forced them to, uh, you know, to do that. Um, so it's, it's just, it's sort of just kind of frustrating from, especially from a hitter's perspective, right? The team is like full of old players, like, they thought that they, they would be competitive here, which is why they kept around wet Merrifield and, uh, you know, and Perez rather than trading them when they had the most value and okay, great. Now that we're here, but they're still not going for it. It's, it's just, I don't know. It's, and then there's the whole thing with Brady Singer, which is like, they want, he's so talented, they say, and then he, they start in the bullpen and then Matheny never uses him. And then they're like, Oh, we need to send him to AAA cause he's too talented. We need to stretch him out. I, I just I don't I don't get it. They they don't seem to have like an overarching strategy for what their roster is trying to accomplish. And 
then the offseason they didn't go out and like change the roster or make big additions they didn't do any trades they mostly you know stood pat they were like yes we're okay with being mediocre being mediocre is okay if you got a bunch of young players which the royals aren't really doing now maybe this is all moot and in june um you know it's all young guys and present wit but you know at the same time, don't you want to get your younger players, you know, another month's worth of plate appearances so that you have a better idea next year, you know, what, what positions you really need to go and shore up. Um, it's yeah. But the Royals have done this for years. Like last year was kind of, kind of like this. Um, the Royals um, were kind of similar to this, like in like 2000, like nine through 12, like they were kind of into this weird limbo Um until like Moose came up in 2011, really, and Johnny G. Vitella and Perez, like in that August, like that was finally like, oh yeah, they're going to a youth movement when they just kept sort of veterans around for a long time. Um, it's it's standard Royals roster construction, which is just really frustrating because ultimately bad teams have a superpower, which is they could just try stuff out. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And the Royals have really not done that. They could have tried a lot of things out. We could already know if Edward Olivares is a big leaguer or, you know, have a good idea of it. But instead, they said last year, they spent all this year just shuttling him back and forth on I-29. Um, and we don't know anything more about him. And, uh, you know, it's... It is the single most frustrating thing about the the Royals under Dave Moore, in my opinion, is that their rosters are consistently, like confusing and don't make sense and they're not like directional towards rebuilding or competing and they're just in this you know weird purgatory and it doesn't work because they lose a lot of baseball games that way yeah purgatory is a really good word for it i think it gets back to what jeremy was kind of talking about last week with saying the royals haven't been really transactional like they said they'd be i mean they you're right they've, they've been kind of stuck in the mud stuck in neutral and rather than go out and try to you know you see teams like the A's and the Rays, and, you know, they've, they've had a lot of roster churn, and there are a lot of downsides to that. I mean, I think that doesn't help build a clubhouse cohesion, but at this point, you know, the Royals really, the guys in the clubhouse right now, the ones that are going to win a championship eventually, I don't think so, other than maybe Bobby Wood Jr. and I guess now MJ Melendez. I mean, I think that those are the best bet to be on a championship team, but the rest of the guys, you know, maybe Salvi at the end of his career, um, the rest of the guys are probably not going to be here in a couple of years. Um, you know, and I don't expect the Royals to be contenders in the next couple of years. Um, so, you know, it's time to start cycling guys in and out and seeing what, what do we have? What, what, what are some better options? What, let's try some guys out, but instead they get kind of wedded to these players and they kind of box themselves in these corners too. Like they can't move Hunter Dozier now. He's got a four year deal that no team's going to want to trade for. Uh, they can't move Carlos Santana right now. He's got a bad contract that no one wants. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of, they've kind of tied themselves to Michael A. Taylor. Um, and, and, and I think you're right. You know, like they, they've kind of, you know, despite kind of attaching themselves to some of these players, I don't, what's the grand plan here? What, what, do they not know that Brady Singer was going to the bullpen to start the year? What, what, what are we doing with these pitchers? Um, you know, and then you want to be flexible, but at the same time you want kind of an idea you know, what were they going to do with Monacy this year? At first it was, oh, he's going to be a utility player. Then it was like, nope, he's going to play every shortstop. It's like, okay, well, why? <laughs> why exactly are you doing this? <laughs> so, yeah, it's been a little maddening. And I guess, you know, if they were winning, you know, that would that would cure all. But, you know, and you say they could be mediocre. If only they were mediocre. I mean, like, they're, they have the, what, 
uh, second or third worst record in baseball right now. Um, it's mm-hmm. not good, and um, yeah, I think their fans are starting to run out of patience a little bit, and we'll see what they do. I mean, it's still kind of early in the season. They could still have a hot streak here, but, um, you know, we, see, I feel like we've seen this this story before, and, uh, you know, as, a, as we end the summer, um, you know, we're, we're going to be hoping they turn it around, but, but it seems like more often than not, the season's kind of over by Memorial Day, and uh, there's not a whole lot to play for at that point. Well, uh, let's take a break uh, right there, and uh, I'll talk to Maury Brown of Forbes Magazine, and then we'll wrap things up with Matthew and Jeremy with our Royals Review reviews. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies, like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Well, joining us now is Maury Brown of Forbes Magazine. He's a member of the BBWAA. He's also written in the past at Baseball Prospectus, Fangraphs, Baseball America, among others. Maury, uh, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. Hey, you're, you're a great follow, I think, uh, on, on Twitter. Uh, we write a lot about the business of baseball. So I wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about where kind of the sport is in terms of, of, of the business, but mostly the TV, because... It seems like the question I get a lot from fans is, why can't I watch the Royals on uh, TV? And I hear that from cord cutters because uh, Sinclair, which owns Ballet Sports Kansas City, um, you know, they've, they've taken a hard stand and uh, with a lot of these streaming services, and you can't watch games uh, unless you have, I think right now the only outlet is DirecTV uh, uh, streaming. Um, it seems like that's a, it's kind of a problem, not just for the Royals, but a lot of teams around the league um, is, is this kind of a long-term problem for baseball? How, why is baseball uh, doing not maybe not doing more to get their the product in front of uh, fan, fans' eyeballs? Well, I mean, the biggest problem is uh, I guess if <clears throat> if you were to talk to Rob Manfred, <clears throat> pardon me, or anybody, of course, maybe at the Royals or or with the league, their problem is that. Regional sports networks in and of themselves generate a huge amount of the total for the league. There's a centralized money, the national TV deals, the national streaming deals, sponsorships, gaming, all that stuff. But the regional sports networks for baseball um, are different than other sports, largely due to the, just the total number of games that are aired and the fact that they rule programming during the summer. Um, I'm about ready to write about this. It's, it's a huge win for advertisers. They flock to the regional sports networks. So the question is always, all right, if I am on the, on the Royals and I've inked a deal with Bally, <clears throat> how do I ensure that I don't cannibalize that? How does Bally ensure that, you know, hey, you're going to go and do some streaming deal over here uh, along, on top of all the national games and whatnot that's going on? Um, how do how do I ensure that uh, I'm getting 
my money's worth. And so there's that fine balance of being able to have that. Um, the blackout policy, which is, of course, horrible, speaks to largely to the advertisers. They want to go ahead and ensure that eyeballs are completely locked on it. So if you're at Bally, right, and you have a deal with the Royals, you go, okay, cool, we'll give you streaming, but you have to authenticate and say that you're a subscriber through DirecTV or however you're receiving Bally Sports for Royals games on television, and you're ostensibly just expanding you know, to another TV. You still have to have a subscription. So for cord cutters, it is difficult, and there is always that. I mean, look, <laughs> pardon me, Major League Baseball – um, national deals with Apple, um, NBC Peacock. Uh, they extended their deal with um, YouTube. And fans hate it. That uh, gives opportunity for those that are cord cutters. But fans hate it because they go, oh, over here, now my game is blocked out. It's an exclusivity deal. And that's really the large problem. It's not like it's simulcast. It's not like if I have MOB TV and I want to watch the Royals and I live on the West Coast that I'll be able to do that if they're on Apple TV or Peacock. So it, it is always this balance that they're striving to have, and nobody is happy about it. It just becomes a difficult problem. The clubs and the league want to maximize every single penny they can so they continue to look at these things. But in doing some of them, it creates some problems along the way. Now, that's an interesting point you make. about you know, We always hear about the sagging – uh, ratings for like the World Series, but but you're right. The regional sports networks seem to be doing very well. I mean, there's a reason why you know these these content providers keep paying up to to get these uh, you know as you as you say exclusive deals. Um, it's because uh, you know the, in the summertime in Kansas City, a lot of people are watching Royals baseball, no matter how bad they are. Sometimes uh, I did want to talk about the news this week we got uh, from Sinclair. Uh, they announced in an earnings call that they would offer a standalone streaming service. Uh, where you wouldn't need to authenticate necessarily uh, with a cable provider. Uh, they did announce a price point on that at nineteen ninety nine a month. Uh, what was kind of your reaction to that price point and, and what this announcement of, of, of a direct-to-consumer product, which it sounds like maybe this summer, sometime this summer that will be available for, for Royals fans and a couple other markets. Uh, what's kind of your reaction to, to their announcement today? I guess it's I guess it's twofold for me. One, it gets back to what we were just talking about. I, I think that it's a good thing. You know, it provides um, that ability to have it. They're not having to walk away entirely from linear TV. Um, you know, the bundles that they reach and how they do that. So they're still having that money, but they are offering it to people that aren't there. Price point's a little steep, but then again, I mean, this is one of the bigger. Um, talked about stories in sports it's this idea why don't you just make it available to me just that i just want this thing right here whatever that sport property is whatever that team is i just want that and the problem with it of course is that um if you look at how your cable bill is sliced up um it everybody pays for espn and if you have your regional sports network in your area on there everybody's paying for that if you pick up a particular tier that has that. So it's possible that somebody that wants, I don't know, you know, Cartoon Network or something that's on maybe another tier, they get the regional sports or if they don't care anything about it. Um, you know, I get an ACC network thing, and, um, you know, I'm like I live on the West Coast. I want Pac-12. I'm paying for it. And so those packages provide that. 
and that gives certainty for these clubs as they go and renew. They know that that money is there because they're bundled with other stuff. If you walked away from that and just offered everything all a cart, like Sinclair is about ready to do here, the sports properties would tank. I mean, if you, it would require support from just the core fans of those teams, and that would not be the same. It would not nearly reach the same amount of revenues. In doing this, again, it is how do we reach people with the investments that need to be made to fire up the infrastructure, and then how do we make it profitable without cannibalizing our other revenue streams? So the 20 bucks seems steep, but again, I think the reason for that is there's probably not a huge audience. And so if you're going to try and not go in the hole with the investment that takes to stand up the infrastructure for all that, and make that sort of thing happen, you probably have to ask a premium for it. You'll know that you probably won't have a big subscriber base. I would expect that. But again, it's then trying to satisfy, make the product available to the customers that want it. Baseball seems to be the only, the only product that I can think of that limits its product to consumers. And it's really interesting that way. But again, it gets into those exclusivity agreements and how do they work that stuff and how... Does it play in, again, without cannibalizing the revenues that people are spending for other mechanisms to receive it? I think that kind of touches upon another another question I get a lot is that why doesn't – so people want to watch baseball. They obviously have their own channel, MLB TV, on streaming. Uh, why – I hear a lot, why doesn't baseball just – make all these games accessible through MLB TV, lift the blackout restrictions, expand their audience, and charge a higher price maybe. But it sounds like what you're saying is that these deals are effectively all being subsidized by you know other users. Is, is and, and baseball, it's more lucrative for them to kind of divvy it up into these piecemeal deals. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, that's it. On the national level, right, you would go, oh, I just want it one way. Well, then you're, you know, then you're, advertising mechanisms aren't nearly the same. I can't reach a national deal with Apple. I can't reach a national exclusivity deal with NBC, you know, or YouTube, or whether it was Facebook, or however they're, you know, looking to do this. Again, if, if the revenues, and a lot of these are new revenues, right? The Apple deal, the NBC deal are, are net new revenues. They're not a lot, right? It's pretty, you know, small fry compared to other stuff. But, of course, it's this idea of trying to get big players on the streaming side of things, your Netflix, your Amazon, your Apple, involved, and let them try it out. And that works for them. Then you get extensions. Because, I mean, it's pretty obvious that streaming is here to stay. We can talk about how it's basically become hyper-diluted and that it's actually, you know, the ability to sustain this. You know, how many services can people afford and whatnot? So it is. I mean, if you just went to MLB TV and said, hey, just lift it, um, then you're undermining potentially Sinclair or others that may be able to do these kind of things. Could we get there at some point? Maybe. I mean, it's not like baseball doesn't have the infrastructure, and it's not like you can easily take care of the blackouts. Um, I know this for a fact. I mean, it, it can be done for individuals. It's not like Rob Manfred's blacked out in his market from anything that he wants to see. So it's easily done. It's done by geolocation, and they could easily lift that stuff. And you could also, like you said, you could direct it and go ahead and pay for it that way. <clears throat> but again, I think that they want to see the regional sports networks succeed. 
um, because that ultimately is a way for the individual clubs to negotiate deals with their regional sports network that they're partnered with. And they can extract their own individual money outside of, say, the national money that comes in through something like MLB TV. I did want to talk a little bit about those the streaming deals you talked about with Apple TV and Peacock. We had a Royals-Yankees game here uh, last week that aired on Apple TV. Um, you know, I, it's, it's going to be a different experience. I, Apple, Apple has their own uh, broadcasting crew, and they have a pregame show. Uh, we'll see. It. We haven't seen a, a Royals game on Peacock, but I think they'll be on in July. What's been your uh, reaction to the early, you know, broadcast that you've seen, and and what's kind of the future for streaming? Will we see more and more of these kind of deals, or is it just kind of Apple testing it out to see how they like it? Yeah, I mean they're testing it out. I, if I just go from the game experience, let's just take out the competitive thing and how it, you know, raises the ire of people that don't, you know, aren't subscribed to those services and not being able to see the games. I like what Apple's done. I really do. Um, the NBC stuff I, is pretty much what I expected. You know, it's NBC. They they do a lot in sports. Apple's graphics look really good. They look very Apple-esque. Um, the thing that I thought was interesting was that they had a bug in the lower right corner that's just showing a variety of different stats for whoever's, let's say, up at the plate. Um, some of that could be, you know, what's their likelihood of hitting a home run. Some of it could be, you know, wagering lines which is really wild to see, you know, deeply embedded in games. Um, but there's been other statistics as well. Broadcast team seems to maybe be a little more chatty than maybe I would like, but that's, you know, I'm cutting hairs now. I think overall they've done pretty well. Um, NBC, I'm, you know, I think it's good to just see it in there um, in the sense that, um, you know, I'm sure that baseball would love to see, you know, hey, can we get some games maybe on the network? You know, let's work a deal, if this works out for you, to where NBC can potentially pick up games outside of streaming. So, you know, I think that in some ways it's good. I think the biggest problem, of course, for baseball in general is, unlike the NFL, if I turn on a, on a given, you know, week, I, I pretty much know where games are going to be. Baseball seems to move around a lot. I mean, it's not that long ago. I remember that it was on USA Today or USA network and it was on, you know, other odd channels, you know, I, I'm waiting for the weather channel. Right. Um, so it, it does become one of these things to where there's so many games and it moves around so much that you confuse your users. But in general, like I said, the, the general production value of both of them, I think have been good. And I think again, that, you know, this is them feeling out how it's going to be. It'll, the real question for Apple will be how many people are tuning in? How many new subscribers are they bringing in? And for Peacock, it'll be the same way. You know, are they getting the return on their investment? Are they keeping subscribers who will then watch other stuff? I mean, if you don't start these subscription services for one thing. I, you know, maybe somebody signed up for Apple TV for just Ted Lazo, and maybe that's all they watch. But what you're really trying to do, of course, is have repeat and return on it. And so that's what Apple's going to see. I mean, sports is a different animal than traditional, you know, baked programming. It's live. I did want to close uh, by talking a little bit about uh, attendance. And I think you've tweeted a little bit about uh, some of the attendance issues around the league. In Kansas City, we, we saw the opening day was the lowest attended opening day since 1995 with the work stoppage. 
Um, they've already had a couple games under 10,000 here. Now, you know, long term, I don't think that's it's a big of an issue in Kansas City where there's no threat of, of relocation or anything like that. But certainly in Oakland and Tampa Bay, where there's been talk about, you know, possibly moving those teams, um, attendance has not been very, very strong. What's your kind of your your read on attendance around the league? What are some factors to it maybe not being as robust as maybe some some might expect, or is it or is there a problem right now? Well, it's a problem. The Oakland situation is completely self inflicted, and I can make a case that it's the same for um, the Pirates. Tampa Bay is a different situation. I mean, it's not like those teams aren't competitive. It's not like they're not trying. And look, you could say um, somebody could sit there and say, "Well, it's not like Oakland hasn't been competitive. They can't seem to get out of they're really out of maybe the first round." The Rays have done that, and then they've tried to do either creatively done do some things, or they've actually retained players. And they, you know, Wander Franco being tied up early and stuff like that. I mean, they're trying. These are not trying. Pittsburgh is not really trying. I mean, they're really baking everything into their farm systems. And so this turnover constantly of, you know, living off the draft and player development, um, you know, I get that in some capacity, but you don't want to live completely by it. It doesn't make any sense. So those stories are going to stick. We're not going to talk about the Dodgers, you know, continually bringing in a lot of people or the fact that the Rockies do even though they have a bit of a substandard team. I mean, if you have um, – they're, they're a market that can really support that sort of thing. So I, I, I think it's bad. I really do. And and the worst thing about it is is that they're after this lockout, it's going to be, well, you know, we offered up a floor of $110 million. Yeah, but they also said that they wanted a cap at 180. And that was just never going to fly with the Players Association. They will never agree to any form of a cap system. Um, they they said they'd do a floor. They just didn't want a cap. So um, it, that's on the owners. And I think that that's an embarrassment for Rob Manfred. And I think that it's not just Rob Manfred. I mean, there has to be pressure from clubs that are honestly trying to do something about it. As far as Kansas City goes, I mean, I don't – I'm surprised. Kauffman Stadium is is a jewel. Of course, it's not exactly in downtown, and I think it's interesting, of course, that like many of these clubs, after a while, they start to go, hey, let's get new digs. And if we can do it in downtown, all the better. Um, Of course, there's the synergy, there's the visuals, everything. You know, I mean, the interior of Kauffman is glorious, especially since the renovation. I mean, it's just a beautiful ballpark in my mind. It just has a classic look about it. But if I look out over center field and I look at the freeway or see a parking, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't look that great, right? I mean, baseball wants to have, you know, what Seattle has or what we have at PNC Park for the Pirates or, you know, or you know St. Louis or something like that. That has become kind of what they've all driven for. And so, again, I think that that is a... a a common theme that is going to occur over and over. Part of baseball's attendance problems, everybody points back to the house on days during Bud Selig's time. But what they fail to roll into any of that discussion is there was an incredible amount of new ballpark openings. And that created a false or a um, artificial increase in attendance as everybody, of course, flocked to these new ballparks, what they call the honeymoon effect. And that rolled over from ballpark to ballpark. I mean, we had three new ballparks open up one year. 
And that really is going to spike your attendance numbers. Now, it's gone down recently for a number of reasons. Again, I mean, I think that a lot of it has to do with um, there's some markets, but there's just a feeling that, you know, there are no chances for teams to get better. Some teams are trying, and maybe we'll see something better out of them. The largest increase in television early on this year is around the Seattle Mariners, and they were trying to do something, you know, after their you know, horrible futility streak that they have. But, I mean, it is one of those things to where some of these markets where the Pirates or the Orioles have been in this constant state of living on welfare and the A's. It shouldn't be like that. I mean, it's just a blight on the league. So, again, I think that until there is some external force from either the commissioner's office or from fellow owners that are tired of subsidizing these teams where they're cutting their margins to just make a profit, I think it's just going to continue. And they had a chance to, seem, to seemingly to address some of these issues in the last labor deal, and it looks like you know everyone just wanted to punt and save it for another day. But uh, if you had to guess right now, like in 10 years, it, it, are the A's in Oakland, are the Rays in Tampa Bay, or, or are they playing somewhere else? Boy, that's 10 years. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that um, – well, in 10 years, we're going to figure out what's going on in Oakland. I mean, just, this is a make-or-break year. Um, they could be in Las Vegas, but I, I, I'm telling you straight up right now, I see no way that that is their you know, panacea for success. It's an oversaturated market, and Major League Baseball is a completely different animal than the other sports that are there, or even the NBA getting in there eventually. I mean, it's just a huge number of games. And people don't travel to markets to go watch event-driven stuff like the NFL. I mean, if you live in Oakland, you may still travel to Las Vegas to go watch the Raiders. They're not going to do that for the A's. So I don't know what they do there. As far as Tampa Bay goes, I think as soon as the um, lease is up, they'll play the same thing. But I think markets are becoming smarter. The league has stated – well, they haven't stated. There's an unwritten thing, or maybe Rob Manfred says it and it's leaking out that there has to be some form of public subsidy. And there's a conversation that's going on in, when someone says, you're an $11 billion industry. Why aren't you subsidizing your own clubs? And the NFL does it. Maybe not as much as they want. I mean, the Buffalo Bills are seeking a, you know, a fortune for a new state. But again, there should be something. There should be a way to do some of this. So uh, as long as markets continue to hold the line and not do it, then I don't know what Tampa Bay does. Maybe they stick around even after the lease is done and do like the A's have done on a yearly basis. If Montreal can kick up the money, I think they'll go there. If Nashville can do it, they'll go there. They'll go wherever someone will kick up the stadium. Because ultimately, if they can get in there and have that subsidized, the you know it's kind of a you know grass is greener on the other side. And I think that there's a case to be made. And it's not like Tropicana Field is some glorious ballpark experience. I mean, the A's are kind of in the same situation. Problem, like I said, the difference between the A's and the Rays is the Rays are actually competitive and trying to do it. And fans, you know, that do go see that. The A's are just poisoning the well. I think that it's self-inflicted on purpose. I think maybe they're trying to do kind of what Jeffrey Loria and David Sampson did in Montreal, which is make it so bad that It'll, they'll go, well, see, if we go somewhere else, we'll be better off. Maybe they will in their last year, 
you know, maybe, you know, you look at the last year of the A's. If you think it's bad now, if they say we're moving to Vegas, watch. I mean, it could be historic. It could be something that we've never seen. Yeah, you really have to feel for those fans that have kind of stuck with it. I mean, just the way they've kind of uh, been screwed over by ownership. And, and luckily, you know, we have our problems in Kansas City, but at least we don't have to worry about losing the team right now. So, uh, yeah, hopefully those situations can get resolved uh, without having fans having to lose a team. But, uh, Maury, thank you so much for being on. You can follow Maury Brown at, at Forbes Magazine. Read all his great stuff. Follow him on Twitter at BizBallMaury, B-I-Z-B-A-L-L-M-A-U-R-Y. Maury, thanks so much for being on. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's been a great uh, great podcast. All right. Well, we're back. And, uh, you know, guys, I was just talking to Maury Brown about uh, Sinclair's uh, announcement this week that they're going to have a direct-to-consumer streaming service for those cord cutters that don't have a cable uh, provider, satellite provider. Um, but they also announced a price point. It's $19.99 a month. They're hoping that it'll be available by this summer, sometime in June, July, June or July. Um, but... You know, first of all, how do you currently consume your Royals baseball, and would you be willing to pay nineteen ninety nine a month to watch the Matthew? Uh, so currently, um, we have Directv Stream, and we got a deal for it. It was thirty dollars off um, for like three months. So we have currently have Directv Stream, so I can I can stream that. And we live in Kansas City area, so you know we don't have any blackout weirdness like if we lived in I you know Iowa or, or you know somewhere else. Um, so that's how we currently do it. Now, as for how we would like to do it, um, YouTube TV is just way better than Directv Stream, just like hugely better than Directv Stream. I like YouTube TV a lot, and ideally I would have YouTube TV rather than direct TV stream because it's cheaper. And then when the Royals are playing, I have some other kind of, um, you know, additional streaming service. Um, so for me, at least, the direct TV stream thing works really well because then I can have YouTube TV if I want um, and then pay $20 a month on top of it. You know, $20 a month is, you know, kind of kind of a lot. But the thing is, you know, if you're just watching baseball, you know, you could only have it for five months of the year, you know. So it's, it's kind of like if you had, you know, a $10 a month streaming service for a whole year, you have the $20 a month, you know, for six months, that's the same cost. So I'm not really put off by the cost. I am uh, not looking forward to the app experience, which I expect is going to be bad, but you know, it, it is what it is. And it's certainly a significant improvement over before. Cause you actually have options. If you want to stick with direct TV stream, you can, if you want to do the ballet sports thing, you can, if you want to sign up for cable again, I guess you can do that if you want to go backwards in time. But uh, yeah, it works for me, but I totally understand all anybody, everybody's like complaints about it. Well, if you only keep uh ballet sports, Kansas city during the season, then you're going to miss out on a lot of world poker tour action in the off season <laughs> so i hope you i hope if you do sign up for the service you keep it during those cold winter months jeremy you're in a bit of a different situation than us in that you're not in the kansas city area and i haven't seen a, exactly all the details on what this direct-to-consumer streaming service would be but my understanding is that it would be only for in-market consumers uh so those folks that have you know they're already getting Bally sports kansas city in their on their you know in their cable uh, packages so if you live in the Kansas City area, that would be you. If you live in Topeka, probably. If you live in parts of Iowa, uh, depending on where you live, you might not be able to get this this app. Um, so it's still be kind of limited to that. And of course, you're not in the Kansas City area. You already are, are not subject to blackout restrictions. But if you were, 
would you be willing to pay $19.99 per month to watch Kansas City Royals baseball? So, yeah, I, uh, I'm out here on the East Coast, nowhere near the blackout area for Kansas City, uh, which is fortunate because the blackout area for Kansas City is abnormally large. <laughs> uh, so I watch on uh, MLB.TV, and I haven't done the exact math, but it's probably pretty close to 20 bucks a month. Uh, it might be 15, I, 16, 17. I think it's 20, 24 a month, I think, is what it comes out to. Okay. I thought I saw that right well, I, I don't know. I have just the Royals package, not the. Oh, okay. Whole, but it only, it only cost, saves like 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I, there you go. So I'm already paying that uh, to watch the Royals. And I, it's not. A, if you've got the money, I think it makes the most sense. It's certainly easier than uh, than trying to get. Uh, you know, pay hundreds of dollars or whatever for cable or satellite. Um, the one thing that seems like it might be kind of cool is if, and, and I, that's my understanding as well, is that it is going to be limited to, you know, kind of the blackout broadcast area of Kansas City. But one thing that's, that might be kind of cool is, like I said, the, the Kansas City blackout area is very large. Um, but obviously not everybody has access to the Royals games in that whole area. So if conceivably this could actually increase the Royals reach uh, where to places that are currently blacked out from seeing Royals game from seeing Royals games through something like MLB.TV, but uh, don't get them broadcast through Bally sports network normally. Um, so that might be cool if it worked out that way. Obviously we have no idea right now whether it will, but uh, it's a possibility that I was thinking about. Uh, as I was looking at it. So hopefully, you know, gives people a chance to watch more Royals games. The the price is expensive compared to other streaming options, but you do also have to consider that this is sports. Um, you know, how much would you spend if you went to see a game in person? A lot more than 20 bucks, right? And that's one game, whereas that 20 bucks buys you a month of games. And you don't have to keep it in the off season unless you just absolutely adore poker. And why wouldn't you? But, you know, if you don't, then you don't have to keep it. Yeah, I think there's always going to be a little bit of a premium, I think, for live sports. But, uh, you know, overall, you know, people were kind of griping about the price point a little bit. And But I think, Matthew, you, you touched upon, I think, the main point. This gives us options, right? Like, if you want to go to DirecTV and get not just Royals Baseball, but HGTV and, and ESPN and all those other great channels, then, then more power to you. You can still do that. If you want to go back to cable, you can still do that. Um, and, and, but, you know, for someone like me right now, I also get direct TV just basically only to watch the Royals. I, other than that, I watch like a little college basketball, a little NBA. I do not watch any like scripted programming on direct TV. You know, it's all streaming services for me for that. So if, if, if this was, once this is, is offered, I will drop direct TV and I will get Valley Sports Kansas City, um, and test out the app, see how well it works. Uh, because I do have, some skepticism about how well that streaming service is going to work. But if it is acceptable, then, you know, that's going to save me, you know, like 60 bucks a month. So that is a nice alternative. Um, and and that, that, that's one thing that does kind of irk me about when people talk about like, oh, well, the prices are rising for all this stuff. Like uh, it's going to be just as bad as cable. It's like, well, it's not just as bad as cable because now you have options. If you don't want to pay for all those things, you don't have to, you don't have to get every single streaming service. And I think, you know, the, I think the streaming services are finding that people have, um, you know, they're starting to reach their capacity. Like, you know, we've got like four, I think, streaming services now, and that's I, that's it. I'm not going to sign up for Paramount Plus 
or uh, some of the newer streaming options uh, out there. So uh, I like it. I, you know, for me, it works for me. Uh, I'm also a hardcore baseball fan. I don't know if like the casual fan is going to sign up for this, and if they don't have DirecTV right now and they don't have cable, the Royals are kind of missing out on that person, and I think that is a problem long term. Uh, but this, like you said, Jeremy, this is good. This will probably get at least a few more eyeballs on Royals baseball. And I don't know what the solution is for the casual right now because the people don't, the casual fans don't have cable or satellite either. They've also cut their cords. Yeah. So they, they just don't, they're just not going to pay for it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a long-term problem for baseball that, that they're going to have to reckon with. But right now they're kind of tied up with these long-term deals with Sinclair and, and you know and other providers as well. But, uh, uh, you know, they're obviously going to have to wean uh, off off of that system because um, you know more and more people are cutting cable all the time and, and switching to a streaming services. Let's uh, wrap things up with our Royals review reviews. Matthew, why don't you kick it off? Yeah, sure thing. So, um, uh, if you you know a few months ago, um, I was looking for a new pair of shoes, just normal walking around shoes. Um, I'm I'm basically one to have um, like just one pair of shoes that I pretty much wear all the time. So I was looking for something um, to have. Um, you know, that would work with a lot of different things. Obviously, I have dress shoes and I stuff that, that I wear with, you know, dressier things. But, like, just on a, from a day-to-day basis, I basically just wear one pair of shoes. Um, and, you know, I heard a lot of good things about um, the brand Allbirds. Um, that's, like, all, as in, like, everything, and birds, like, the things that fly. And uh, I heard, like, nothing but good things about Allbirds. Like, absolutely nothing but good things about them. Uh, so I was just like, you know, look, I fine. I'll, I'll go get a pair. I'll order a pair and, um, you know, see how they are. And it was just, it was a little, like, um, not freaky, but it was like a little unusual. How I I hadn't heard it. a single bad thing about Allbirds. Everyone that I knew had them was like super happy with them, and I ordered them. And I was devastated to find out that they're just as good as everyone says. Um, so I got these. Uh, you know, I'm 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 not a huge fashion guy, but I think they look good, and they they are the most comfortable pair of shoes that I've ever worn. And uh, depending on you know what style you get. Um, and what color you get, because there's a lot of different colors. You can, you know, sort of dress it up or dress it down. Um, the the pair that I have is uh, the Wool Runners, which is not actually new. You know, it says Runner in the in the title. Um, they're they're super duper comfortable. And since then, I've uh, bought a pair for my uh, for my mom, and I bought one for my dad. Um, you know, for Mother's and Father's Day. Um, so, yeah, uh, I shoes shoes these these are good shoes and they make your feet feel good and um their their shoes are just one of the like the things that i will spend more money on because you know you're on your feet a lot and you might as well have something that you know keeps your feet comfortable and the rest of you comfortable too because if your shoes are all screwed up you know that can lead to back problems and all sorts of things so um, that's my review today it's interesting you bring that up because i was just talking to my brother-in-law a couple weeks ago and he mentioned how much he liked his Allbird shoes. And I had one of those moments where the next day on Instagram, guess what? I had an ad for Allbird shoes, which I had never looked up. I had never searched for. I think I fit the demographic really neatly. So I'm sure it was the algorithm, but it's one of those moments where you're like, oh, the cameras are listening to us. <laughs> so uh, the phones are listening to us. So, uh, but yeah, interesting. I've, I've, my brother, although he was very. Um, he's also equally as uh, 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 pleased with his shoes as well. So, Jeremy, what do you have for us this week? 
So as I was thinking about this, I, I just realized another way that streaming is never going well, at least is currently not as bad as cable, uh, even with all the different options, even if you wanted to get all the different options. And that's that you only have a month long commitment. Anytime you sign up, you can immediately cancel and only be stuck with a month as opposed to years because I canceled my Netflix account because uh, I was like, I don't want to pay that much anymore. I'm not watching it. I don't want to pay that much. But then I remembered oh yeah, there was that Arcane show. I want to watch that. <laughs> but I've canceled it. But that's okay, because it's only like eight episodes, and I can totally watch that in a month. Uh, so that's what I've been watching lately. Uh, it is based on the video game League of Legends. Uh, I'm three episodes in, and you don't need to know a dang thing about League of Legends in order to, to watch and enjoy this show. Uh, the animation is interesting it's very different from anything else i've seen um it's there's a combination of 3d animation and 2d animation that uh is really interesting in a completely different way from my favorite movie titan ae but um there's a lot of good stuff going on there there's obviously some easter eggs and some characters from league of legends and if you played league of legends you're going to recognize some of these characters and be like oh oh i know what they're going to be like you know whenever they're in lead in the game league of legends because this is kind of set uh at least as far as these characters are concerned this is set for in, in the past before they participate in the league uh and one of the cool things about league of legends uh is that they've always had a lot of lore and backstory to all of these characters um so to see that actually born out as a television show is really kind of cool uh to see them like live the lives that were just kind of told in in backstory paragraphs uh is, is interesting um and it doesn't hurt that uh, two of the characters they chose to use were two of my favorite characters when i used to play the game uh but again if you've never played league of legends you can still absolutely enjoy the show there's just as always a little bit more for the people who have played it. And my Rose Review review this week is, I think, Matthew, you tipped me off on this uh, on Twitter. Uh, it's an article at Rolling Stone about Mr. Beast, who, if you have... have yeah! Have yeah. You, uh, have, if, if you've been a YouTube watcher or you have a child that is a YouTube uh, consumer, you've probably heard of Mr. Beast, known as... Uh, he's, that's the nickname of Jimmy Donaldson, who has become one of the most popular YouTube creators in the world. Uh, with some elaborate pranks, um, but mostly I think he's known for his big cash giveaways. Um, you know, he's a multi-million dollar many times over, but his big thing is that he uh, will do these elaborate stunts where he gives $10,000 to a homeless person, opens a, a pop-up restaurant, and gives away stacks of cash with his hamburgers, um, you know, leaves enormously uh, large tips uh, at restaurants, um, you know, it's an interesting uh, deep deep uh, dive into him. They they interview him a little, uh, quite a bit, and uh, you know, he's not doesn't seem like he's driven by money at all, but very much driven to be like the most popular YouTube creator of all time. Um, and you know, there's I think a little bit of a dark side in that you know he's been accused of not having a great work environment, um, some some having some slurs uh, in private. Um, I actually I think some of his early videos had some um, uh, racist slurs. But, you know, he seems like he's, his heart is in the right place for a lot of this. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, I have mixed feelings about it. I know my, my kids have watched a lot of his videos. Um, I, I, some of the consumerism worries me a little bit. But the fact that he's giving a lot of stuff away 
I think is a good example to set. So I don't know. I have a lot of mixed feelings. I'd be kind of curious to hear what other people think. But it is on Rolling Stone right now by E.J. Dixon. It's called Mr. Beast for Real Inside the Outrageous World of YouTube's Cash Happy Stunt King. It has one of my favorite lines of all time um, in it where it's like where Mr. Beast says something along the lines of like money doesn't motivate me. Like I don't need the next the next biggest gadget or like the fanciest, you know, TV or anything like that doesn't motivate me. He says, as we ride around in his Tesla model X. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, if you've seen his videos too, you know that he has a nice, he has nice things. Uh, well, that'll do it for our show this week. Uh, thanks so much to Maury Brown of Forbes magazine for, for joining us. Thank you to Matthew and Jeremy for being on as usual. And thank you for listening. And from everyone at Royals Review Radio, we'll talk to you next time. Hey!